Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle. My name is Ewan Lawson. I hope you enjoyed the summer shorts we've been having over the past few weeks. I kind of feel that there's been a bit of a break in the podcast, though of course it has been coming out every week, but it's been a couple of weeks since I recorded anything as I've been away in my been away on my summer holidays. So today we're just getting back into things and I, you know I know the school holidays if you've got kids are coming to an end and life hasn't quite returned back to its normal rhythms just yet but it's just around the corner for us certainly for my, me and my family next week as we all going to get back into those normal routines into the autumn. So today um, I want to cover a few different things. Um, I've got a research paper I want to talk about that might just change the way you think about your training and your exercise. Uh, and that's just come out from the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Um, I also want to talk about something called regression to the mean. I was listening to uh, an audio book today and um, the topic came up and I think it's a really important one. It's often misunderstood or simply not known about. And it can massively influence the way that you think about evidence and how you um interpret data and um, it's a really useful thing to know about. Um, I've got another book recommendation that I want to mention briefly and I've got an app that I've been using over the past couple of weeks that I really want to um, talk about and mention as well. So show notes as ever at blokeology.io forward slash 023 this time. Um, I think there might be some mild swearing in today's episode. Um, I feel in that kind of mood. Let's crack on. Right. So the first thing I want to talk about is regression to the mean. Now, this is potentially a rather dry topic, but it's just incredibly important. And let me give you an example and it will kind of to lead us into it. So I was listening to a book, an audio book called Soconomics, which is basically all about the use of data and the massive amounts of data that are being used to analyze football these days. And the interesting thing about massive data sets is that you can start to look for patterns and one of the things that it had done was highlight that you know, the whole what happens when you change your football manager. People, you know, teams do badly; they sack their manager, and there has been a well-documented bounce that when you get a new manager, teams seem to do slightly better. Now, the automatic assumption and the one that most people make is that getting a new manager is a good thing to do; so the manager makes a difference. But actually, the data, when you crunch all the numbers, suggests that it doesn't actually make all that much difference to the manager. Now, the point about this is, and regression to the mean plays a part in this. Now, say your average points, say the average points that a team get is 1.3 or something of that nature. And that's what an average club is going to get per match. Now, um, usually a club will sack its manager once it gets down to 1.0 points per match. Things are going really badly. They're not getting enough points. Um, and that's usually that's the kind of area at which um, things get triggered. Now, what happens with it? Of course, an average means that it's just the collection of everything put together. We all know what an average is. But that means there are going to be periods where you do well, where you do better, and periods where you do worse, periods where you get more points, and periods where you get fewer points. So what regression to the mean says is that on average, on overall, what's going to happen is at some point, if you go through a run of particularly bad results, in order to hit the average, there's going to have to be a change at some point. You're going to continue losing, 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 losing at some point in order to hit that average, as most people do, then there will be a run of better results. And actually, that tends to be what happened. 
that actually the point at which you sack the manager is the point at which you hit that dip. And actually, just by the very nature of things, you will tend to get better um, results. And it's irrelevant the, the, to the manager. The manager has nothing to do with it. It's simply regression to the mean. Now, you have to be careful about this because you have to look at a lot of data and you know individual matches and perhaps sometimes even individual seasons are subject to variation. You know, for instance, the example given in Soconomics is Leicester winning the Premiership. That was an unusual season. And since then, Leicester have returned to their more natural average, which is, you know, perhaps a mid-table side, certainly not a Premiership winning side. So um, you've got to be a little bit careful about not interpreting this too quickly, but it's an important point. And once the whole thing about regression to the mean is that once you start looking for it, you can see it everywhere. It's particularly a problem when it comes to medical evidence because you see people who are going through some kind of problem, like say they're, they've got a particularly high blood pressure. Now, blood pressure is not something which stays at exactly the same level all the time. So it, what happens is there are going to be periods where it's a bit up and a periods where it's a bit down and there's going to be an average figure. But the problem is if you look at people that have just, you know, you, you look at a little subset, you give them a medication and you look at all the ones who have a high blood pressure and see what happens to it. Well, what happens is naturally, because that's just the upper end of their average, if you like, their their um, span of results, they it looks like when it comes back down again, it looks like it's the medication that could be making the difference, where in fact, it's just the natural variation in uh, measurements that happen. And that kind of um, random error means that you just get this kind of non-systematic variation um, around the true average, the true mean. And it's very easy to misinterpret that variation as the effect of your intervention rather than it actually being a true difference. And so regression to the mean is incredibly important so you don't get conned into thinking medications or other interventions, be they kind of physical ones or counselling or whatever kind of intervention it is, um, uh, is not the thing that is actually the thing that's making the difference. So it happens everywhere. Whenever you measure stuff in repeatedly, and you've always got to consider regression to the mean as a possible cause for an observed change at all. Um, you can do it. You can, you, I mean, you've got to be very careful about statistical design. You can try to, you can sort of design some of this stuff out. But regression to the mean is an incredibly important aspect. And really, it's about, and the reason I want to mention it is just because I'm just keen to try to help people fine tune their bullshit detectors. And regression to the mean is one way that we all get bullshitted on a regular basis. Um, don't ever, if someone says there's a true difference with a kind of an intervention, whether it's a drug company or whether it's somebody with an alternative medicine trying to claim there's a difference, you will find that something, regression to the mean is one of the things you've always got to consider as a possibility that there's not really a true difference. Uh, so another example, just to sort of make it a bit clearer. Now, this was actually, regression to the mean was actually first described by a guy called um, Francis Galton. Sir Francis Galton, of course. Um, in 1877. And it was him that came up with the term. Now, the example that he used was one of um, the average height of parents and their children. And he discovered that um, tall parents had, on average, children who were smaller than they were. And that shorter parents had, on average, children who were taller than they are. And that's because the people who are very tall or very small were statistically are just a bit fluky, if you like. And that means that they actually... Um, because they're at the extreme end of the distribution, it's more likely that 
um, their children will be tending towards the middle, regressing to the mean. So that's one really good example. It's been shown in things like birth weights, blood pressure, and cholesterol. Uh, one good example, which is always worth bearing in mind, is the intelligence as well. If you take um, people who are particularly intelligent or academically high achieving, um, it's very light, it's very probable that their children won't necessarily be as high, academically high achieving or as intelligent as they were. And similarly, people who are very um, have lower levels of intelligence and have lower academic levels of attainment. Now, I realize there are lots of complex social reasons for this as well, but regression to the mean also highlights that those people aren't necessarily, those people's children may well be, um, um, in the same way as height, are likely to be more intelligent and more academically capable as well. Okay, so that is regression to the mean, and it's something that may well pop up in discussion of papers in the future. So I just wanted to go through a few minutes um, explaining a little bit more about it. So that brings me on to the research paper that I wanted to comment on today. And this one is from the British Journal of General Practice. It has just been published um, in the past few weeks. Um, and the title of the paper, Strength Training as Superior Dose-Dependent and Safe Prevention of Acute and Overuse Sports Injuries, a Systematic Review, Qualitative Analysis and Meta-Analysis. They've been pretty busy, these people, and they're Danish. I think Danish and Norwegian, actually. I'm not sure the authors. Scandinavian, let's put it that way. So they looked at all the evidence and actually kind of to see what they could come up with in terms of how good strength training was. And they found six actually pretty darn good studies that looked at five different interventions. And let's cut to the results here. Now, one of the one of the problems before I cut to the results, one of the problems I have with this is that five of the papers were actually looking at strength training in football players. And one of them was in military training. So there is a real world issue here that the, perhaps how do you, you know, young, fit people, probably men, I think, largely, how do you apply that to older, middle-aged guys like myself and how relevant is it? So I'll come back to that in a second. But basically, they found that strength training really was incredibly effective at, in those randomized controlled trials. And when you put all the results together, it's incredibly effective at reducing injury. Um, and something like they did actually crunch the numbers, something like a 10% increase in strength training volume reduced the risk of injury by more than four percentage points. But it seemed to work for overuse injuries and particularly anterior knee pain. Uh, the study looking at military recruits was particularly interested in that. And leg strength training, which has been well known to be useful for anterior knee pain, made a huge difference um, in that side of things. But there seemed to be a general trend and a dose dependent one as the title said that the more strength training you do and the more the, the greater the volume the greater intensity the more your risk of sports injury is reduced uh, and there was very few injuries associated with the strength training as well um, and that's an, an, another important factor now some of the strength training was quite carefully controlled it's not your super high intense stuff high intensity kind of Perhaps, you know, there's a controversy, a controversy around things like CrossFit and the potential injury risk. And um, I'm certainly planning to discuss that in the near future with some people as well. But overall, strength training has a massive benefit in reducing sports injuries. And that is perhaps the biggest problem we all have. I've mentioned this many times before, that being consistent with exercise is perhaps the most important thing you can do. And getting injured completely puts the kibosh on that. Um it screws you over when it comes to consistency. Um, there is also quite a lot of good evidence, I think, that strength training can improve performance. 
So you get that benefit. So it's not like you're doing it and it's damaging your performance in some way. So not only does it help performance, it reduces your chance of injury. And it's worth mentioning that actually strength training is, you know, um, it's in national guidelines. You know, say we're supposed to do whatever, 120 minutes per week of exercise um, of, you know, kind of moderately intense exercise that gets you sweaty and hot. There's also in the guidance, and it's very rarely mentioned, a recommendation that you do a couple of days a week of some kind of strength training. Now, the government's not suggesting we all get out and push weights. Strength training can take lots of different forms in that regard um, and to be relatively gentle for um, for all age groups as well. But I think for me, something that I've only just getting into in this last year is an appreciation that strength training is something that I have neglected through my um, sporting you know, life in the past 20 years. And it's something now that particularly as you get older, and we do know that muscle strength, muscle mass can deteriorate as you get older, but we also know that those those changes are completely reversible if you actually train. So for me, this is a massive wake-up call that I was kind of had already was getting into in the last year. But if you haven't thought about it already, you really want to be thinking about how you get into strength training, what you can be doing um, to improve your um to improve from this aspect it's an incredibly important element of any training program okay so the only other thing i wanted to mention today was i wanted to mention a book and i wanted to mention an app that we've been using regularly so the book um, and this probably should have come in last week's episode uh, in summer shorts um about uh male about masculinity and i mentioned the grayson perry book um, and I mentioned the Man Up book by Jack Irwin, but this is an incredibly accessible book. And it is Robert Webb, who's um, most of us know as the British comedian in the other half of the Mitchell of Mitchell and Webb, and um, How Not to Be a Boy. And it came out in paperback in May. So um, having been hanging around in hardback and extortionately priced Kindle um, for the past however many, nine months or a year, it is now available in paperback. Um, I've just started reading. I just picked it up. I was lucky enough, actually, I was wandering around in the university library yesterday and they had it available there. So I've picked it up immediately. And um, uh, I think any interest in kind of masculinity, male role models, Robert Webb's got a particularly interesting take on this. Um, and um, we all, I think, appreciate that it's supposed to be, uh, this is it's certainly been reviewed as a very touching, funny and um, readable book as well. I'm looking forward to it. So, and the app, the app I want to mention, and now this is a little bit in the productivity side, um, and it's really, I've mentioned before, I think with myself and John, we've talked about life hacks that I like to do the sort of the Pomodoro method. And the Pomodoro method is where you set yourself 25 minutes, set a timer, you work, you get into it, and it's all about getting into a flow state. And it's very much about kind of, that sounds a bit weird and kind of waffy doesn't it a kind of bullshit but I, what i mean by that is actually once you start getting into work rather than being it's kind of the deep work cal newport approach and that's a book i've certainly talked about that actually once you get into a topic whether it's writing or reading and you get past that initial sort of superficial five ten minutes youtube my intention spanners can't cope with any longer actually you start to get a lot more out of it and you get into a real depth and a quality of work and I've found the Pomodoro method incredibly useful to do that. You set a timer for 25 minutes and you just say, right, I'm going to do it. Um, and I was browsing on the app store a few weeks ago and I discovered this app called uh, Forest. 
So just and its name, and it's basically just a kind of a gamification of um, the Pomodoro timer. Now it does some other things as well. It can track what you're doing um, in terms of your computer, uh, your phone time, so that it'll tell you exactly how much time you're spending on it. But it's just a way of really staying focused. And what you have to do is you have to, you know, for every 25 minutes or the time you add in, you actually have a little mini um, forest, you know, a set of trees that you're growing. Um, and you have to nurture those trees. And it's just a really, and it sounds a bit crazy, but it's a really effective way of getting you to um, uh, kind of keep growing this habit and keep at it and keep spending more time um, uh, working in these kind of concentrated states and not just looking at your phone every five minutes. So I found it incredibly useful. I'm really enjoying using it. Um, it is possible to actually join groups and share forests and trees together. Um, it has got an amazing number of reviews on um, uh, on the app store. It's like over 1,200 reviews or something like that, a really high level. Um, and I think it was, I, I think it, I can't remember what it cost. It wasn't terribly expensive, a couple of quid. Um, highly recommended. If you've got to do that kind of work and you're just looking for a way to try to get more into it, then um, this might be something you find really useful. Okay, that's it for this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed that brief run through, like a research paper, a little bit more about you know fine-tuning the anti-bullshit detectors uh, and a book and an app. Uh, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Okay, well, thanks for listening. You can find the full show notes at www.blocology.io. Uh, you can also sign up for the newsletter, the Journal of Blocology at www.blocology.io forward slash journal. Sign up and I'll make sure that I send you the Healthy Bloke Action Plan. It would be enormously helpful if you've enjoyed the show, if you've got anything out of it, if you could pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review or just leave a rating, that would be incredibly helpful. And any feedback is very welcome. And so you can leave comments, send email, or make contact via Twitter, Facebook, and the usual social media channels all of which can be found at blokeology.io. Thanks again.